Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you for the blood. Father, thank you for your son and what he did on the cross for us, Father. Father, thank you for this time of year, just a time of year for us to be thankful, Lord. May we be thankful 365 days a year, 24-7, every second, Father. Father, we love you, Lord. We ask for you to sweep across this place and do a mighty work, Father. In your holy name, amen. You all can grab a seat if you'd like. It would be weird if you actually stood, though. Um, so I know what some of you are thinking. Wow, that guy is a heck of a lot better looking than Frank Taylor. <laughs> well, maybe Steph's not thinking that, but I know the rest of you are. So it, it is, um, whew, I, I feel like I floated up here. Uh, it is good to be back up. And I'll tell you something, this is kind of off the paper. You're getting this for free. Um, if you ever think that you are in a somewhat depressive state and you could use a break, most likely you could use a break. So when Frank uh, and Steph came, they were uh, the weekend that we were trying to find out, you know, learn more about them and so forth. I remember saying to Frank at the time, I said, when you get here, oh, I need a break. I just didn't realize how much trying to help and work full time and have a family and so forth I didn't realize how much it was weighing on me. Um, and today it's really noticeable because I was just so eager and excited to be back up here. I feel, I feel very refreshed uh, and really excited to bring uh, the Word of God to you. So um, just anyway, just thought I'd put that in there because I know that at times we want to let our pride get the best of us. We don't want to admit we're tired or depleted, uh, but most likely you are. And God's telling you to slow down, and I thank the Lord that he had it that I could slow down a little bit. So it's a joy to be back up here today. So one of the things that I found interesting was, so Frank came to me a couple months ago and said, hey, look, I need to take off a couple days. Here's some dates I have for you in advance, um, and you can pick whatever you want to preach on. And I said, well, okay, so I'll, I'll take the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving uh, I said to Jeff and Sue, it'll probably be only them today, but it seems like we have a full house, which is really good. Um, but he said, what do you want to preach on? And I said, well, are, are you doing anything in Acts 10? And he said, well, I'm, I'm kind of doing something in Acts 10, Acts 11, which is what he did last week. And I said, well, I'd like to take a look at Cornelius. Uh, my father, when, when he was alive, used to teach my brother and I a lot about Cornelius in Acts 10 because of being a historian and Cornelius being in the army and so forth, and we'll talk more about that. And Frank and I both prayed about it, and we were like, wow, this would be pretty cool. We can really kind of show the congregation how you can preach through the same passage two different ways. Nothing that we're making up, it's what God is telling us. So we're going to dive into Acts 10 today, um, and it's, I think it's going to be an interesting journey. Now, I don't know about you all, but the What If series has uh, personally absolutely wrecked me. Anybody with me on that? Like, it would be like, at one point I said, Frank, can you really stop just talking just to me? Anybody feel that way in this series? Really, really, really wrecked me. So what I thought we would do, just because of the way I'm wired, I thought we'd go back and look at each what if, which brings us up to today. So if you can pull up the first slide, the first what if we did was, what if we love Jesus more than anything or anyone else. Right off the bat, I was like, whoo, 
do I love Jesus that way? I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but that's what I was thinking. The next one, what if we got off the mountain? It was pretty evident at our uh, retreat for staff, the idea of trying to get the church off this hill. And I thought about the idea of, wow, how can I help in that regard? How can I help get the church off the mountain? Next one, what if we demonstrated evidence of being with Jesus? For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, folks, we are with Jesus. That should explode out of us. It should be people come up and they kind of go, man, I don't know what it is about that guy, but he's a little off. Yes, I am a little off. I've got Christ inside of me and I'm excited to talk about it. Next one is, what if we were really committed to personal discipleship? That one hit home with me also. I also thought about the idea of who am I discipling? So am I discipling myself? Am I letting the Lord work in and through me? And who am I discipling? So I thought about that. What if our response, the next one, what if our response to difficulty was to see boldness, not a change in circumstances? Anybody destroyed by that one? Wow. Could I so often pray, you know, Lord, if you could just remove that hurdle for me, my life would be so much easier. And, and at times he goes, no, 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 I have that hurdle there for you for a reason. Next one, what if we were obsessed with the gospel? What if we were completely obsessed with the good news of Jesus Christ and couldn't wait to share that with others? Next one, what if we were willing to live for Jesus? We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit today. What if we told the Holy Spirit that we were willing to be used? Free will, folks, right? God gave us free will. Holy Spirit can do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. But we are given opportunities. We have choices. We come to a fork in the road and we can go up this path or this path. We have choices. What if we let the Holy Spirit to just completely use us and wreck us? What if we believe God could save the unsavable? This one hit me, hit me square between the eyes. I think of those in my life that are not believers in Jesus Christ, and I think, you know, there's absolutely no way God could save them. God's not big enough, right? I mean, because he saved me, but I was ready to be saved, right? These are things that we think. What if we really thought of everybody who was unsavable that God could completely wreck them and bring them back to him. And then lastly, what if our love for others had absolutely no boundaries? Our love for our children, our love for our spouse, our lo love for our church family, our love for those outside these walls. What if our love had no boundary? So that kind of brings us to what I believe is a common theme that has run through this What If series, and that is the idea that, folks, God is absolutely unchangeable, but we are to be changeable. See, God does not change. What's going on in our lives has nothing to do with Him changing. He's not, he's, he is the same as He was, as He will be. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. It is us that are changing all the time and growing more in his likeness. What has really hit me from the very beginning is the idea of 
Less sin equals more Jesus. So the less I cling to the things that I should not be clinging to, I see Jesus in a different light. That's what's happened to me over the last 10 or 12 weeks. And then, if there's more Jesus, I don't want to go back to those sins. Does that make sense? Less sin equals more Jesus, and then when you have more Jesus, it automatically makes it less sin. So what we're going to look at today in Acts 10 is we're going to look at Cornelius and kind of how God uses him. So we end with Acts 8, where in verse 40 it says that Philip stopped at Caesarea. Now, we don't exactly know at the moment, we don't know why God stopped that, stopped Philip from going further. But then we jump into Acts 9, and we see the conversion of Saul to Paul, which is quite, quite an amazing life change. And then that brings us to Acts 10. So the question I have for you all is, who is Cornelius and why did God use him? Well, I believe that the book of Acts, especially the beginning of the book, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things because of the work of Jesus Christ. So let me say that to you one more time. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things for and because of Jesus Christ. Folks, I hate to tell you this, we're all just ordinary people that the Lord would love to use to do extraordinary things. So when we go through this, maybe you could put yourself in Cornelius's shoes and think about maybe what was going on with him. So think about how Acts plays out. It starts with um, Matthias being chosen to replace Judas. Then God uses Peter multiple times, many, many different ways in Acts. He then uses Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The apostles are used to heal many people. Then in Acts 6, the 12 disciples choose seven ordinary people to help advance the gospel. Again, folks, ordinary people. Nothing special about these people. Just believers in Jesus Christ. Philip is used to advance the gospel through Samaria. And then we see again Saul becoming Paul. So who is Cornelius? Cornelius is a pretty interesting guy. He is a, uh, lives, in, lives in the area of Caesarea, which is a military headquarters for the Roman Empire. It would kind of be like, I guess, maybe one of you living down at Fort Meade, maybe. Um, so it was built, Caesarea was built uh, by, uh, I think, King Herod, and it's about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So he is a centurion in the Italian regiment. Now, there's multiple discussions, I'm not going to bore you all, whether he was leading 100 people or up to 1,000. But there is no doubt he was a high-up ranking guy in the, in the Italian regiment. So think about it this way. You got Cornelius that God's going to use, but at the same time he's in the Italian regiment. It would be like if you were in the army and you rooted for the navy. Could be. Or worse yet, you're a Ravens fan and you think Bill Belichick is the greatest coach ever. Think about that, okay? It just doesn't fit. Now, think about the times that 
God uses centurions in the Bible. I thought this was very interesting in, in my readings. In Matthew 8, 5 through 13, <clears throat> and again in Luke 7, 2 through 10, uh, we, we find out that a centurion built the synagogue for uh, the Jews. Then in Luke 7, 9, Jesus actually says this about a centurion. I tell you this, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then again in Acts 27, Julius, who is a centurion, is the one who takes Paul to Rome, and he also helps save Paul's life. Matthew 27, we see that a centurion was the one guarding Christ, dying on the cross, and that centurion said, surely he is the Son of God. So again, isn't it interesting that God uses a centurion one more time? And now God plans to use Cornelius. Folks, I cannot stress this enough. You will get tired of hearing me say this all day. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things for Jesus Christ. So, what I'd like you to do is let's open our Bibles up to Acts 10, and we're going to look at the first couple verses. Okay. So, at Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So there's a word that has stood out to me for the last four weeks. That word has beaten me up multiple times. I've talked to Mark Andrews about it. I've talked to my wife about it. I've prayed about it. And that is the word devout. So I decided, I thought I'd look up what the word devout is. I'd look in the Bible dictionary. I'd look online, so forth and so on. And what we find out about the word devout is it's used a few times in the Bible. Particularly, it's used with Obadiah and Simeon, where it was referred to them being devout. It's used a couple times in referring to Cornelius. So what does it mean? Devout means totally committed to a cause or belief the idea of committed or devoted. I think of the guy by the name of Dick Hoyt. Anybody know the name Dick Hoyt? Dick Hoyt is the gentleman whose son was born a quadriplegic, and he put his son in the wheelchair and ran thousands and thousands of Ironman. He was a devout father to the care of his son. That all came about because they set up a a mechanical device similar to like a typewriter, uh, and I don't know enough about it to really explain it, but his son roughly said to him by, by uh, sending him this message, and it said, Dad, I want to run a race. Well, at the time, Dick was, I think, 60, 70 pounds overweight. He, had, he said he barely could walk up the stairs without huffing and puffing, and he became a devout father to his son, and eventually he would carry his son on his back, he would push him in a wheelchair, and he, and he accomplished many, many Ironman. I mean, think about that. He was devout to his son. See, I think God's Word says just the same thing about how Dick was devoted to his son Rick as Cornelius was devoted to God in the same way. So let's look at Acts 10, 3 through 8. And here's where it gets pretty interesting. I know for me, if I had a vision of an angel come to me and speak to me, 
I would probably be slightly concerned. Okay? So Cornelius is hanging out at his house one day, and out of nowhere, um, he sees a vision. He saw this angel of God who came to him and said, hey, Cornelius, I think about that. What if somebody came when, hey, Bill Brown? I'd be like, what the is going on here? Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And then he gives him a kind of a direction. Now send back men to Joppa to bring back, uh, to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Again, Frank touched on this last week. The idea of those specifics are pretty wild. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was uh, one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them directly to Joppa. So what's interesting about God using Cornelius, where it might be a little different than using people like us, Cornelius was used to doing, taking orders and follow through with them correctly. You notice Cornelius doesn't go, well, hold on, wait a second. I, I really planned on watching the Ravens game today. Can I get to that at 4 o'clock for you? Or, hey, I've got this to do. I've got to go out and chop wood, whatever it is. That's not, what, that's not how he answered. He answered with, okay, let's make it happen. And he called for the people that he needed He acted immediately. No fear, no second guessing. He did what was told and then enters Peter. So Frank really focused on Peter last week, but we see that Peter also has a vision. Um, Think about that, four sheets, food on it. That would be really wacky too. Um, God has to do that multiple times so that Peter kind of wakes up and sees what's going on. But eventually Peter meets up with with the men that Cornelius sent and they bring Peter back. Peter enters Cornelius' house, and what is the first thing that Cornelius does? Falls flat on his face. Total humbleness. Really was eager. Again, Frank touched on that last week. He was so eager that he had his family and friends there um, because he knew something great was going to happen. Peter then says to Cornelius, come on, get up get up, it's just me, I'm an ordinary guy doing extraordinary things because of Jesus Christ. Pretty interesting. So then we get to Acts uh, 10, 30 through 33, and this is what it says. Cornelius answered to Peter when Peter asked what's going on. He said, look, four days ago, I was in my house praying at at, at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes, stood before me and asked, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. And then here's what Cornelius says. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius tells Peter the story again why. Why does Luke make such a big deal out of this? I think the, ample, the answer is simple. I believe wholeheartedly it is awesome to brag about 
what God is doing in your life. Our God is awesome, and just like Cornelius, we love talking about what God is doing in us and amongst us. So he tells the story again for the second or third time. And then we get to Acts 10, 34 through 43, and I want to read this word for word, and I'll tell you why. We should never take for granted the story of what Christ did for us. I think so often, I know me in particular, if I'm going to be honest with you all, you know, there are times like take an Easter service, you come and you're like, you know, I'm excited to be here and what God's done for me, but you know, I've heard the story multiple times. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever thought that. But I think so often we take for granted what he really has done because we could not have done it. It's what he did for us. So then let's look at verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And then listen to what he says. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is what? He is Lord of all. You know what has happened through, uh, throughout Judea, uh, Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing and all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the tree, but God raised him from the dead, and on the third day, he caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses who God, who God has already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us, listen, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The story of Jesus Christ. So I want to be sensitive. I know I have believers in here, and I might have unbelievers in here. As believers, folks, we can never, ever take this story for granted because it's everything that we base everything we do on. It's everything that's based on Christianity. It's not about good works, folks. There's nothing you can do to work your way into heaven. God doesn't let nice people in and keep the bad people out. We are all bad people until we accept Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Amen? So let's never lose sight of that. And as an unbeliever, if this is the first time you've ever heard it, and you want to speak to somebody about, hey, I don't, I don't know what you're ta- talking about. I'll be in the back, multiple people, whatever. We would love to talk to you. You might have somebody beside you that would love to talk to you about what Christ has done in their lives. I've heard so many times unbelievers say, well, he lets good people in and he keeps the bad people out. Well, folks, if that's the case, I'm not getting in because I'm a bad person. It's all because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. Then we get to the best part of the story, and God shows himself in a mighty, glorious way. And that's, we look at verse 
uh, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, so he's talking just like I am, sharing the good news, and out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit comes on all who heard the message. All of those, the circumcised, the uncircumcised, and so forth. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I often think about how cool would have that been to be right there at that point? And what would have been like hanging out with Peter for a couple more days after all those people were connected to the Holy Spirit? Folks, again, God used an ordinary person to be part of one of the most extraordinary stories of the Bible. But Cornelius was ready to be used. In verse 40, in, in, in these 48 verses, we see that he was devout, committed to God, God-fearing, giving, excited to see what God was going to do. He was eager to learn. Listen to this. He was eager to learn. He was teachable, and he was humble. He was an ordinary person who was going to go all in for Jesus Christ. So that brings us to our last what if of the series, and that is this. What if we laid all of our junk at the foot of the cross and went all in for Jesus? What if we did that? What if we got, we just turned over the hurt, the pain, the sins, the fear, the anxiety? What if we laid that all at the foot of the cross? Why I say the foot of the cross? Because, folks, it's level at the foot of the cross. No matter what you bring, it's all level at the foot of the cross. So at the staff retreat, we talked more and more about the idea of getting the church off the hill. And I must admit, as I was hearing that, I was thinking about this. Don't stone me. I was thinking, well, it's you all. We need to get you all focused on Jesus to get off the hill. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. No, William Brown, you need to be focused on Jesus Christ. You need to be the one that is so in love with him, so focused on him, that it's a pouring out that you all would see that in me and the change would begin. So, again, the What If series has completely wrecked me. The Lord brought me back to many, many passages in Acts, and I remembered my dad teaching me about Cornelius. And as I read that over and over again, I just kept digging on the part of that he was devout. And I really started to question, am I honestly, fully, all in and committed to Jesus Christ? And then I started thinking about all the things, all the comforts of home, all the reasons I've said no at times. And I really thought about the idea of I really need to be committed and devoted to Jesus. So I have always been honest with you all up here about my weight. I've shared with you multiple times about it's been a struggle. And praise the Lord, I can stand up here and say I've lost 50 pounds. So, and give him the glory, not me, honestly. I really mean that. And I was telling Jason Merson when I started this journey, and Jason said, well, what can I do to help you? And I said, brother, i got to be honest with you. It's between me and the Lord. 
I don't need, I, I need prayer, I need encouragement, but it was about me letting the Lord work in and through me and reckon me. And that's what's happened over the last, say, four months with this series. So it brought me to a pool analogy. And if the Gallaghers were here today, I would charge them for their, this plug, Gallagher Pool Service, for all your pool service needs. Um, <laughs> so I will send them a bill later. Um, so I used to work for Randy. I used to work for Randy's dad back in the day. Randy and I are about the same age, about a year apart. And um, anyway, so I've been around pools. And I, I thought about this analogy to the point of every time I went, you know, Lord, what's a pool analogy going to do in a sermon? And he would bring me right back to the pool analogy. And this happened literally like 10 times, and I called Frank, and I go, dude, I got this stupid pool analogy. And it keeps coming back, and he goes, it's obviously the Lord wants you to share this pool analogy. So I believe there's four people sitting by the pool, four believers, four Christians I think there's the person that sits on their chair, got their umbrella, got all wrapped up, and they go back and tell people, well, I hung out by the pool today. I was, I was in the pool. I had a good time. And I think of that person as maybe they're a believer, maybe they're not a believer, because really they're not in the pool. And then I think of the person sitting on the edge of the pool, they got their feet dangling in. Yeah, they could say they're in the pool. They can say they come to church. They can say they put their $5 in the collection plate or whatever. They can, I don't know, work in a soup kitchen or something. They got their feet, feet dangling in the pool. Then you got the person that's standing in the pool up to their waist. And they're like, whew. This is cold. I'm not going to go all in, but I'm up to here, so I'm in the pool. Okay? I think there's some of us in, that, in this room. I've often thought that at times I'm that guy that's standing in the pool up to the waist, and I can tell people I'm in the pool, but am I really in the pool? And then, Ryan, if you can pull this picture up, this is the picture I thought of, and it's the fourth person. Folks, this is who God wants us to be. He wants us to jump off the diving board like a crazy idiot, no matter how cold the water is, and he wants us to jump in because he's got a great, miraculous ride for all of us in this room. He is in love with people. He doesn't love us more. Don't th I know you're going to leave here and you're going to go, he just said, God loves us more. God loves us. Absolutely. We can't even comprehend it. But I think there's a part of him that goes, that guy, he's all in. That gal, she's all in. He wants us to look like that person right there. Jumping in the pool, absolutely crazy for him. My prayer the last couple weeks has been that God would reveal and hopefully has been revealing stuff to you over the course of the last, say, 12 weeks. Now, I know we got a little bit of change going on in the church, and it's freaking everybody out. There's a three-by-five card in your bulletin. Don't let it panic you. Here was my thought. 
Folks, we're either going to be a church that's vulnerable with each other and grow, or we're going to be a church stuck in our silos, and we're going to come and raise our hand and love God, and we're going to go back home and maybe share a little bit about what Jesus is doing in our life over the week, or we're going to be a church that realizes that every single person in this room is a broken individual. Some may be broken more than the other right now. I get it. Last couple years, I didn't realize how depleted I had been. And I also didn't realize, truthfully, how much my weight and my gluttony was really keeping me from fully growing completely with the Lord. So here's what I, I would like to have happen. It's your call. I'm not trying to make you all do something you don't want to do. Why don't you write down on that card what's keeping you from going all in? What is it that's keeping you from going all in for Jesus Christ? There are three baskets up here. There's a basket here, here, and here. All you have to do, Jason's going to play a little bit of music, and then we're going to sing a song. If you want to come up and put that three-by-five card in there, Frank, when he comes up and does announcements, is going to pray over all those. And we're going to just lift them up to the Lord, and we're going to ask the Lord to take those from all of you so that you can go all in and start really growing and working on your relationship with Jesus. At times, folks, sin, junk, garbage, whatever you want to call it, hurdles, things we put there ourselves, they keep us from really living out a life that Christ has called us to live. So let me pray for us. Musical start. I'm going to tell you right now what mine is. You not have to tell everybody what yours is. But mine is this. Less of me and more of Christ. I am the most selfish person in this room, maybe on this universe. Less of me, more of Jesus Christ. And I cannot wait to see how he uses me for his glory. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and just thank you, Lord. Every one of us, Father. Father, open our hearts up, Lord, and reveal to us, Lord, what it is that's keeping us from being all in for you, Lord. I think about all the what ifs, Lord, and I think about that idea of living for Jesus, which was a few weeks ago, Lord, and I, that really ties into going all in for Christ, going all in for you, Lord. Father, may we be a church that isn't about the church changing, but the individuals in the church, which will in turn change the church, Father. May we be that people for you, Father. We love you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what your son did on the cross for us, Father. We lift this up to you in his precious, holy, saving name, Jesus Christ. Amen.